Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. So you all know that property is a pretty big passion of mine. And today we've got a a very special guest because he actually helps people start their property journey from scratch. So to put this into context, he is the son of a migrant family that moved to Australia back in 1996 when he was just 10 years old. And after seeing his parents struggle overseas, he decided he was going to become a businessman because he thought and believed that was how people became rich. At the age of 14, he started his first business venture running six lolly vending machines while still in school. By the age of 22, he was running his own restaurant business, learning all the lessons and challenges that come along with running a small business. Learning from past experiences, he bounced back on his feet in 2009. He started his career in real estate. By the age of 30, he made his first million dollars, built an impressive property portfolio with three companies all within five years of being broke and almost bankrupt. His determination to success led him to win the Alpha Award as a top salesperson nationally with an ASX 500 listed property developer. And from this moment, he was inspired to start his own business. With a strong determination to succeed, he founded Silvertail Property Group back in 2014. And his goal is to help others create their own success through property investment and building a passive income. By helping everyday Australians through educating them about property, he has been able to achieve this goal and help many first-time investors enter the market. Nadal Rashid, welcome to the Limitless Man podcast, mate. Thank you for the awesome introduction. No worries. Thanks for that, Stone. I wrote it myself, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, every time I hear that intro, you know, or or something along those lines, I get a little chuckle and, you know, it takes me back to to the starting point, which is, um, you know, always a humbling little feeling you know and it's, uh, That's what's good, good to put things it. in perspective it's the beginnings that really are, are relatable to a lot of people listening to this because it's not all rosy as we know and it's absolutely interesting. I, I love i love to hear about like the story of everyone how they started how they even ended up in this business in this industry you know yourself we go back uh, a little while me, me and you and you know i love property as well and it's been a massive tool for me and a vehicle to doing the things that i want to do with my life just tell us a little bit first, man, about your like just your story, your upbringing. You know, back in back in Lebanon, coming to Australia, the family, yep. all that stuff. Go for it, mate. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, well, I guess if I was to take it right back, I mean, I was born in Lebanon, uh, born in Beirut in the midst of a war. Uh, my family moved around a lot, so we used to live in Africa at the time in Sierra Leone, and then from there we uh, came to Adelaide, from Adelaide to Melbourne, Melbourne to Lebanon, Lebanon back to Melbourne, Melbourne back to Adelaide. Um, so I, I had to move around and had to adapt to, you know, different places, you know, early on in life. But what that taught me as well is what I didn't want, because I don't want to live a life where I was, you know, always, you know, changing schools, changing houses, always, you know, having to start all over again. And I wanted that little bit of consistency. So when we came to Adelaide, Adelaide felt like home and, um, you know, I haven't moved since. So we moved to Adelaide in 2001 and I can, you know, I'm happily yeah, I'm happy to say that we haven't moved since. So um, Adelaide's definitely home. But to sort of give you some of those um, points in 
my life where it really kind of inspired, you know, me to, to, to want to be successful. I remember a time when in, in 96, my dad had to leave us in Lebanon, uh, to move back to Australia by himself for him to just, you know, be able to provide like to, to come and find a house and, and set himself up before the family would, would uh, leave. Yeah. And I remember in Lebanon, um, things aren't like here. So you don't have electricity freely. You don't have, you know, when shops close or banks close, you can't get access to your money, things like that. And I remember there was a weekend where we didn't have any diesel uh, to warm because uh, the heaters over there work on diesel. Yep. So we didn't have any diesel. So it was going to be a cold house. We actually didn't have any food. Uh, and I, we had to like basically go that weekend before Monday, before my mom could go get, you know, food to, to, to feed us. And, it was one of those times that was, I think it was life defining because I, I remember that day saying, I never want to have to do this ever again. Or I never want to put my family through this ever again. When I'm older, I want to be, I want to be rich that, you know, I can have all the food that I want. I want to have anything that I want to have access to never want my kids to feel this way ever. Yeah. And that was probably at the age of about nine, 10 years old. And I remember coming to Australia with that same thought. And then going to school with that same thought and then going, you know, starting my first job with that same thought. And that's always been with me. And I think that's that's one of the things that makes migrants just that extra bit hungrier or they work harder or they go is because they've had to go through times where they have gone without, you know. Yeah, so that, yeah, that was that was probably like one of the early, early defining moments. Yeah. It's funny you say that. My grandparents came here years ago and obviously they did the same thing they sent money back like home and just to sort of suss out yep. how this was all going to work here and play out you know so can i ask though man was that a big culture shock for you you're 10 years old so you remember everything pretty much like you know yeah. you'd have really good memories back there in lebanon and then you come to australia like how was your english did you even speak the language at all and what was the culture Look, was, difference uh... between two countries you know Look, because I had lived in Australia uh, when I was a kid, so I left here when I was about four or five years old. So I'd just done maybe kindergarten or for okay. you know the first year, maybe reception, and I went to Lebanon. Um, so I had some English, but it was not strong at all. And I remember the first week, I struggled to even let my teachers know that I wanted to go to the toilet or you know what I wanted to eat from the canteen or or just little basic stuff. So it was hard initially, just with the communication, but. I made a very strong effort to improve on my English and improve on my communication skills. And I think because I struggled early on, I put a big emphasis on, you know, mastering the English language, which then helped me out later on in life because, yeah. you know, I've become a better communicator since. And I think it's because I went through those times where I struggled to communicate with others. Yeah. You know, so that was that was probably you know one of the, the early things um and again being a migrant you always come here and you look at other kids and you know they've all got the nice clothes and the and the nice toys and they have everything you know that was given to them and you know i remember sort of being in that in that uh, position where i i wanted things that i didn't have yeah. and again i think all that did is just added more to my motivation and to that you know to that fire of, of me wanting to go out there and, and create it for myself yeah no it's interesting you say that man i had a similar experience when i say similar i can relate to it because my parents obviously came here as well and they came with nothing so they're starting like this brand new life and you know that hunger to work they they work so hard and i could i could see that 
But what they did was it restricted their time. Well, back then, obviously, there were there were specific roles anyway. So dad was the one like was that was working every day. Mum was at home with, with the kids. I've got two younger brothers, so that was her responsibility. And and it worked because they each respected each other's roles in the relationship, you know. Yeah. But what I realized was it did cost them time. And what they knew was to work hard, and that worked for them. Don't get me wrong, and they did a, an incredible job, man. Like they provided for us like they wouldn't have be able to provide for us had we or had they not actually come to this country to do that but what i noticed was yeah they just didn't have the time to to do the things that they actually wanted to do they were obligated to do what they did for us which i'm very Mm -hmm. grateful for but yeah that's another reason why obviously i started my journey you know into property as well was to okay how do i get leverage how do i buy back my time effectively absolutely And that was one of the when you see your parents making sacrifices, it it changes your outlook. Hundred percent, man. And it wasn't that, you know, I felt they they could have done it different. I think they did an incredible job with what they had, you know, at their disposal at the time. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about challenges because that was one of your challenges as a kid that you identified. And sometimes it's we do things that uh, are the opposite of what. I guess we saw our parents do for that reason is to overcome those challenges. And, you know, you mentioned that coming to this country was hard, but also you've been involved in, in the restaurant business as well and hospitality and you went bankrupt as well. Um, nearly. Nearly, nearly bankrupt, bankrupt, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Nearly bankrupt. So <laughs> what are the lessons from that, man? Like what sort of challenges can you sort of, or did you learn from that experience? Yeah, look, that was a, that was a great experience for me. It's probably one, of, again, another life-defining moment because, what happened is I, I started in business early on. So at 14 years old, I was running lolly machines, vending machines. And, you know, I always had I always had money as a young kid. And then I got into network marketing. I was trading shares. I was doing all sorts while I was at uni studying. And I always knew that I don't want to go to uni and just get a job. Like, I, you know, I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 14. And yeah. uh, I was inspired to make money work for me. You know, so I, I learned that the key difference between... There you go. Awesome. Um, I learned a key difference between uh, those who were successful and rich and those who weren't is that the, the you know, people who weren't rich were just selling their time for money and people who were rich were making money work for them. So I was very, very, you know, uh, conscious of that. Then when I got in, got a taste of like a, my first bricks and mortar business um, and I was, you know, making like I wasn't making money initially because, uh, you know, the, the restaurant business that I got into, I probably went into prematurely. I didn't understand how to assess a business. I don't know how to look at, uh, you know, turnover, leases, outgoings, all that kind of stuff. And I, I went in there, I went into that business just out of pure enthusiasm. Yeah. And because I jumped the gun and didn't, you know, get a, get right advice or whatever it is, I found myself in a business working seven days a week, you know, from seven in the morning till, you know, 11 at night burning myself out. And when you're operating from a place of stress and scarcity and all that, you know, you you start manifesting sickness and, and things in your life that, you know, make you spiral downwards. So what ended up happening is I made some bad money decisions, like I bad, made bad money choices. So I'd get into debt and buy cars. I had a car accident, which I then wasn't insured for. Um, I was, you know, spending money like a business owner would, But I I wasn't a business owner that was making money back then. So those bad money decisions just sort of compounded on top of each other until I got to a point where I had to, you know, make a decision in my life. And the the decision came after having a couple of hospital visits. So 
I'd, I'd, you know, pass out behind the bar. Uh, it happened on two occasions. After the second time I passed out, I found myself waking up in a hospital bed. And I remember the doctor looking over me. I wake up to hearing the doctor talking to my mom, telling her, look, your son's just overly stressed. And yeah. this is, and if he doesn't make any changes, it's not going to get any better. So he's going to have to make it, uh, make a change. And I remember that night going home and my parents saying to me, look, the restaurant business is not for you. You're going to have to get yourself out. And I remember I was so I was so attached to it that I was like, no, it's my business. It's my baby. And, and I had problems letting go. But they said, look, we've bought you a ticket to go overseas to Lebanon, go overseas, change your life and come back. You know, think about what you want to do with your life. Think about what you want to do with your career. And that was the time when I started thinking about what, what is it that I actually would want to do? And then property kept coming up, you know, property yeah. kept, you know, sort of coming to the surface. And then that's when I decided I want to get into property and, and you know, pursue that, uh, pursue that career path. And, um, you know, obviously I came back and I, I got my license and started working in sales, started working commission only just to, just to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, from there, things, things got better but uh prior to that when you know i mean talking about the bankruptcy i remember when i'd finished from the restaurant i didn't think i had the ability to pay back what i had owed and i started looking for the easy way out which is okay well if i go bankrupt then you know all that commitment will go away and i remember having the papers in my hand so i'd you know started the process got the paperwork got it all filled out and I remember having to negotiate with the debt collectors at the time. And I remember taking a photo of those papers, sending it to them saying, look, if you guys don't work with me, I'm just, this is my option. So you get nothing. So, um, yeah. which, you know, obviously led to me being able to negotiate with them, close it off, pay back what I owed. And, you know, you know and what, then- what was that like? Because the, were most of them accommodating under those circumstances and they understand, go, look, this guy's being upfront here and he's showing us, what could potentially happen. So did you find they were accommodating for the most part? And like, how did that go for you in regards like, to your negotiation skills? Like, did you find? Yeah, look, I think that's what um, helped me sort of uh, develop my negotiation skills as well, because that was right at the very start of my real estate career. I was working in sales at the time. So I was doing phone sales just to make yeah. some cash flow and, and make some money. And because I was... Uh, I was working on the phones. I was trying to build up my, you know, my confidence. And I had this thing where it's whoever's more confident is whoever is more confident is going to influence the other person. And it's either you sell them or they sell you. And this is all that kept running in my mind. And I remember every time I'd get a call from the debt collectors, you know, at the start, they would probably have their way with me because they were more certain about what they were talking about. And they, you know, had the upper hand and, you know, they would make threats like, you know, it's going to affect your credit file and things like that. Yeah. But then when I realized that, hold on, if I, if, if, you know, if I just sign this paper and send it back, they get nothing. And then obviously it's a lose-lose. Yeah. I started using it to my advantage. I'm like, hold on, you know, it's, there's no benefit in it for you and there's no benefit in it for me. So if you want to make this work, let's talk, let's, let's deal with each other yeah. and you're going to have to work with me. It's as simple as that. And, uh, you know, again, it helped me develop my skills, but at the same time, it helped me work through a challenging period and a, and a challenging situation, which thank God I didn't go bankrupt because then it, I would not have been able to build a property portfolio and wouldn't be yeah. able to get into business and, and do all the things that, that um that i was able to do afterwards yeah it's good and it probably comes down to like self-worth too like when you're in that situation and 
you uh, you tend to bend over backwards to the other party. I think it's a reflection, well, from my experience, it's a reflection of your lack of your own self-worth and what you can actually bring to the table too. And so obviously in that situation, it was important that, you know, that you were able to actually communicate what you were trying to communicate and because, yeah, otherwise no one would have won anyway. Like, had you signed those papers, yeah. everyone loses. So, yeah, it's 100%. important to understand. Regardless of our situation, I think we always bring something uh, to the table um, regardless Absolutely. of how dire it might be. But you also, now I just want to talk about this. You mentioned something about, you know, your beliefs and, and, and things like that and limiting beliefs. And yep. you've transitioned now from, you know, hospitality to property. You've got this concept. You've got this idea. What about the stuff that has gone through your head? Like, did you have the doubts, and I'm, which I'm sure you would have, when All you were to the switch? And yeah. You remember those conversations you had with yourself and what were those initial steps to try and actually at least take some form of action to move away from where you were to the situation? Uh, absolutely. Look, it's, uh, it's funny looking back at it because back then I was really young and very green. Uh, so I was only 22 years old when I started the restaurant, you know, and by the age of 24, 25, I'm, you know, there dealing with debt collectors and things like that. And one of my limiting beliefs when I was, uh, you know, younger is that I was too young to be successful. I was too young to be able to run a business. And, you know, I remember having staff who were twice my age and me trying to, you know, get in there and, and you know, let's say have a disciplinary conversation with them. I actually would, would, would you know, struggle with that initially. Um, so I always thought, you know, I was too young. I was not good enough. Um, I always had this, uh, you know, thing that it takes money to make money and you, you know, you, you've got to be born into a rich family to be able to like make waves and, and be able That's to get ahead. I want you to expand on that one a bit more if you can for a sec, man, because I believe that as well for a long, long time. And, uh, can you touch on that a little bit more, please? Yeah. So the, 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 it takes money to make money. Yeah. Point. Yep. Look, at, you know, growing up again as a migrant kid coming here with not having anything to start with, um, it was very hard to see other people, you know, having opportunities that you didn't have yourself. There was a moment uh, when I was probably about 16, 17, I think, um, I listened to a podcast, not a podcast, it was a recording from Tony Robbins. And there was a statement that he said that all you ever need is within you right now. So it's not about how much resources you have. It's how resourceful with what you do have. And I started, you know, and that point came up again, you know, after I had been in business, you know, I was looking back going, hold on, I'm 22. I've just gotten into a business. I had no money because I did that through a partnership. Um, I've, you know, been able to, you know, get all this experience in, in business. I've had staff, I've had, you know, all these things and I'm only so young. And it didn't take me any, like I didn't, it didn't require any money of me to get to this point. And at that point, the penny dropped. And it's like, you know what? It's not about how much resources I had because I didn't have any money to buy a restaurant. But through my communication, through my relationships, through my network, through my, uh, through the value that I was uh, demonstrating to the people around me, they saw value in me being a partner with them or they saw value in me being a a teammate or or someone with them. And when that penny dropped, taught me that all you have to do is increase your personal value and your personal worth. And when you increase your value and you are, you sell yourself on that value, other people start to see it. Right. But until you realize that you are valuable and until you realize that you've got something to offer, no one else is going to really feel that from you or no one's going to, you know, you're not going to be, 
sort of radiating any 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 of that energy. So it it really comes down to not having all the resources, but being resourceful. And the best resource that you have is yourself, your mind. And for me, that was okay. If I've got a if I've got a positive mindset, that means in a situation when when shit's falling apart, I can remain composed and I can lead a team. And that's that's a valuable skill, especially in today's world, right? Yeah. If you've got a positive mindset and positive self talk and good communication skills, it means that in the midst of chaos, there could be a voice of reason. And again, that's a very valuable skill set to have. Yeah. Um, mind you, we haven't we haven't even touched on money yet. You know, yeah. as a fit and able person, as a fit, young, healthy male, I've got the ability to work hard, to be able to do things, to move things around, to uh, you know, to actually physically work. Again, that was a value that I had that I didn't know how to, you know, that I that I didn't sort of. Um, uh, you know, maximize its value when I was, I was yeah. younger. But as I started to get older, I started realizing that, no, I've actually got a lot of uh, skills, a lot of benefit, a lot of value, a lot of energy, a lot of things that I could bring to the table. And to someone like who is an older businessman, say, for example, who is, uh, you know, towards the end of their career where they don't want to work hard, they don't want to, you know, spend a lot of time, they don't want that, but they want a young buck. They want someone who's young, who's positive, who's got good energy, who can lead, who can that, and they want that person on their side. All right. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got a lot of value to bring to the table. Yeah. And even if you don't have any money, if you can partner with someone who right. is looking for what you have, you know, all of a sudden it puts you in a different category altogether. So yeah. whilst my mates were out, you know, smoking and partying and going out and drinking and all of that, I'm there trying to, you know, create opportunities with, you know, other business people and other entrepreneurs and, and all that. And just positioning myself to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So it's first understanding what your value is as a person. But more importantly, then there is a way to communicate that to other parties, to other people in a way that it lands for them. So then they understand, wow, this guy can actually do this for me. So what can you do for other people? And guys, what what can happen, and, and I've seen it happen, it's happened with me before as well, is if money needs to be a thing that needs to be put in, and I want you to touch on this as well, if you can show someone value, like when I've bought, I've bought a property before where I haven't actually put money into it. So I've had, I've communicated to someone, look, if we do this thing, uh, we could potentially make this much money. I know how to do this. I had the IP, okay, there's my value. I had the skill set to do it. If you give me the money, we can actually profit together. So basically we're, we're, we're teaming up in a sense and we're giving each other value because I've got knowledge that this person doesn't have. Yep. It doesn't have to be your money, guys. So it's someone else's money that's going into the actual deal to actually make this a reality, to make this happen. And it's a win-win situation. That's the way I look at it. So. What's your experience with that? Have you seen that happen yourself? Man, I've been a product of that yeah. myself because my first few properties I did with little money, you know, yeah. to no money at all, in fact. So my first property I bought when I only had $1,000 to my name, but I was able to convince the agent and the vendor at the time that I was the right person to to take advantage, you know, to to um, take that opportunity on. Probably my highlight deal is a, um, is a deal that I did under an option agreement uh, probably about seven years ago. Yeah. There was a property that was on the market. Just the people that aren't aware yeah. of the option agreement, just quick, yeah. simple explanation. What's an option, man? An option is having an agreement to have take the right, but not the obligation to purchase a property. So basically, 
let's say you've got a property that you want to sell, you can't sell it on the market. I come to you and say, Simon, look, I'll give you the, the money that you want, but I need the terms on my condition. Yeah. Um, I want the option to be able to buy this and settle on it anytime in the next couple of years for an agreed price. And if I can't settle on it, then you just keep my option fee and then, you know, you'll, you'll get, you know, you, you'll, you'll be able to do what you want with it. Otherwise, if I settle on it, I can settle anytime and, you know, move and do what I want with it. Yeah. So I had, um, I had a scenario where there was a vendor trying to sell a, a residential property on a main road and it was on the market for over a year. It was a nice property, big property and, um, struggled to sell it as a residential property. Now, I was looking for an office at the time, and I saw the opportunity of turning that from a residential into a commercial property. So I went up to the owner and said, look, how about I take a, a two-year option on the property? And what I'll do is I'll pay you rent in that time because I was going to pay rent on an office anyway. So I'll pay you 5% of the property value as rent. Um, however, I want the ability to renovate this property and improve its value and you know be able to, to finance it down the track in two years' time. I'll, I'll settle on it. So you've effectively saw that, taken, okay. taken control of the property, really. This is what it is without buying the property, and that's it. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's a simpler way yeah. to say it, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. It's take control over the property. Yeah. So the, the vendor agreed. Um, and, and the reason he did it, again, is because he saw value that we weren't we weren't just you know, uh, you know, young guys not knowing what we were doing. He saw that, okay, these guys are onto something. They're, yeah. they're, they're smart. They're proactive. They're, you know, they can do something with it. So it gave us an option to a two-year option. In that time, I turned it from a residential property into offices. Um, whilst it was an office, we then approached some childcare centers and got a, a lease on the place. So we got a 10 plus 10 lease on it, which yeah. then improved its value. We took the lease and the property to a lender who would lend us on the valuation rather than on the purchase price. Yes. And then, you know, I'll share some numbers. So we we had an option at 1.35. Uh, we improved its value up to 2 mil. We took we borrowed against the 2 mil. So they gave us 70% against that. So they gave us 1.4. We took that 1.4, paid the owner, you know, yeah. the 1.35 plus cost that we had. You've effectively increased the so, value from 1.35 to $2 million, right? In a sense, just by correct to a commercial, well, is by that changing its use, commercial property or commercial yep. use? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, by changing its use from a residential to a commercial because yep. as a commercial property, yep. uh, it had better use and, and it had a higher and better use of that property. Yep. So by being able to do that, it meant that yeah, we were able to you know get the money from the lender, pay back the owner. Um, he was happy because he not only got the purchase price that he wanted, he also got the rents along the way. So I was paying him, I think, I think it was about 80 grand a year or something like that. Um, so I made it, you know, I incentivized him to, to give it to us, but I was able to do that deal without having to put any money from my pocket. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, so if I had to put in a 30% deposit on a 1.35 million property, that's, you know, that's, that's a fair chunk of money that, yeah. that was going to be required from me. Whereas if, yeah. if I did it under an option, different story yeah you know yeah it's interesting and you know there are many ways to skin a cat as they say you know but even in saying that you know there is an element of discipline like focus as well from your perspective that you've got to actually implement so even like in this property game this property world it's very easy to get distracted because there are many strategies within the strategy of property to go down Absolutely. there are many rabbit holes right so you know, for you, like discipline, focus, 
even saying no to things like has that been important for you learning to say no like to certain things absolutely stay focused and get really good at one particular thing absolutely you know sometimes the best deals that are the ones that you say no to yeah (laughs) you know what i mean so the you know for me on a personal level and on a business level that's probably been my biggest learning is 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 understanding uh what it is that you are going after and being committed to that and sticking to your lane um and on a personal level you know is not getting not indulging in their distractions and all the things that can take you away from what is true to you you know what i mean yeah so you know on a business level so you you were saying like there's different strategies there's so many ways to be right there's so many ways to make money in property yeah you got to work out what's what suits you you know and depending on your starting position because if you've got a lot of money but you don't have a lot of time um and you just want something that's passive there's a strategy for you yes. you know yeah. if you if you've got a lot of time but don't have any money there's also strategies for you as well right but yep. too many people think of only the, the think of like the, a one size fits all approach and it doesn't work. So you got to yep. work out like what, what's, what works for you and what doesn't, and then commit to that and stick to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like as a kid, like it got drilled into me, you need to buy a house, right? So it would have been a disaster had I moved out of home and I was renting, you know, growing up the way Absolutely. I grew up. So it was all about, you got to buy a house. You have to buy the house. Right. And there was a time where I had this belief that if I bought a house, it didn't matter where I bought it, it was going to double in value every seven to 10 years, right? Because that's that's what you hear all the time. Yeah. But this one here, especially, and I want to hear your take on this, that might your home itself, like wherever you live, your primary residence is an asset. Now, we spoke about Rich Dad, Poor Dad before. Robert Kiyosaki yep. is the author of that book. And he's of the opinion, and I've I tend to agree with him that your home isn't actually an asset, right? That it is more of a liability because yes, if you sell it, you're going to get money and you know, the capital growth may in fact eventuate in some sort of profit. There's no doubt about that. But in regards to it putting money in your pocket on a weekly basis, there's more outgoings than there's going to be ingoings, especially even if you've got it paid off, even if it's freehold, you're not getting any rent for it. So What's your take on it? Because I've changed that belief about my own property and what I actually perceive is an asset versus a liability. No, look, I I agree with you, but I would say that there's lots of there's there's two ways to be right with this, okay? Because the um, look as as an investor and someone who just does numbers for a living, you know, when I'm looking at property deals, hundred percent being a rent vester has its benefits, you know, and has its, has its place, especially if you're, let's say you live in Sydney and the average house price yeah. near you is 1.5 to 2 mil and you can't afford that. And, you know, you, yeah. all you're doing is trying to get your home. You know, there's, there's smarter ways to deal with your money because no, you can just rent where you live and then invest in, in, you know, in properties yeah. that you can afford. Yeah. Um, I went through this exercise myself after my second or third property, I moved out of a three bedroom home in an inferior area and I went into a five bedroom home. So I rented a five bedroom home in a premium area mm. and it was costing me less as a, as a renter, I guess, you know, to, to rent this nice big fancy house than what it was costing me to have my own three bedroom home. Right. So I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that when the numbers stack up and, you know, if your life situation allows you to do that, 
However, I also believe that money is going to come out of your pocket to have a roof over your head one way or another, yep. right? Whether it's rent or whether it's your own. And as a family man, so I had three kids at the time and being told by the landlord, look, you're going to have to move out, you know, at the end of yeah. the year or wherever, so yes. taking the property back yeah. and all that. It disrupted my family lifestyle. And then it just, it put me out because then I had to go find another property and all that. So I kind of lost that, that control. And then I had to kind of revert back to my old, you know, yeah. migrant way of thinking. He's like, no, you got to own your home and and whatever. Because look, I'm still paying that money to to rent, right? So I may as well just have it going towards my own home. But um, again, I'm I I sort of agree with both points because as an investment consultant, I would normally give someone the advice that no, sometimes rent vesting yeah. is is beneficial. So. The answer to that question is it really depends on your scenario and your situation yeah. and your life circumstances and, and all that. But absolutely, the numbers can make better sense when you're a rent vester than when you are, you know, owning to live type thing. Yeah, it's, but, not always, it's not always about the numbers, right? Because let's say one of your highest values is family. Then obviously, there's an intrinsic value to having your own home because there's security attached to that, right? And you're going to be able to serve that value of knowing you've got your family there and you can build that home to cater for Absolutely. that. Right? So it's very Absolutely. difficult to price on that because it's so intrinsic. But I guess from a from a financial perspective, I guess I was coming yep. from initially, I think that there is better ways to actually- 100%. Wealth as opposed to trying just to acquire a home and pay it off as, as fast as you can. I think, you know, the rent vesting, which is rent where you want to live, you know, go and invest somewhere yep. else potentially could be a better option for for anyone really but i i agree and And keep in mind i mean we're spoiled for choice here in adelaide because you know back when i bought my home it was it was cheaper to to, you know like to make mortgage payments than it was to to rent um at the time and you know obviously you get the capital growth and all the benefits of it and the security knowing that you know no one's going to tell you you need to move out basically but when I, if I was single or as even just as a couple or, you know, not having that, um, like you said, the need to have security for where I live or where my kids live or whatever it is, absolutely. I would follow the rent vested path, especially if I'm, you know, living somewhere like Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane, where I want to live close to work and have the lifestyle and all that. No, I'd rather live in Bondi and then, you know, no, have so- rental properties in Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane, wherever. So. I- and it's true. And, and that's why there's no one size fits all when it comes to this strategy, you know, because my sister-in-law is a good example. So my wife's sister, she lives in Sydney. She doesn't have any kids at the moment. She just got married recently and she's all about lifestyle experiences. Uh, for her to move, she's moved multiple times in the last five years. Not a big deal. Mm. You know, whereas I've got two kids. I spend a lot of time at home with my kids. I don't do... Yeah anywhere near the experiences that she does or that she's involved in. So for me, I'm going to get better value if I can build a strategy around acquiring a home that I can stay in long-term. Absolutely. So there there is a difference for sure, man. Look, to to take it right back to the start, like if you were just starting out and this is going to be your first purchase, then no, absolutely. Go for an investment before you, you know, think about the home and, you know, where you want to live and all of that. So as a starting point, 100%, the numbers will work better as a rent investor. Yeah. That's what I want to talk about now. So to anyone listening that hasn't purchased a property before and they're going, you know, this sounds interesting. I want to get involved in this. I want to learn how to buy a property. Should I buy my own property? Should I rent where I am? Should I actually you know, invest somewhere else? Can the average person do this? You reckon the deal? Like, 
that average person can they get started it's it's not too late Yeah, yeah it's not too late despite what you hear in the media and what you hear on the news and all the doom and gloom stories that you hear, there's always opportunities and there's always yeah. markets within markets, you know? So right now, you know, we're still buying properties sub 450 for, for clients who are getting into the market, who are still experiencing growth. They're still, um, you know, getting good yields. So there's still positive, uh, I guess, scenarios and situations and, and news stories that are happening out there. But as you know, the media doesn't sell based on good news. They only sell when it's doom and gloom. You know, more people yeah. are are attracted to that kind of news. So um, absolutely. Look, for someone who's just getting started, like let's say they're, they're, you know, working, earning 60, 70, 80 grand a year or a couple that might be earning, you know, um, say combined 100, 120 grand a year, and they can only afford to borrow, say, around that four fifty to five hundred thousand collectively. Yeah. Um, there's still opportunities there for them where the property can actually generate enough rent to cover its commitments and its costs, and will have some kind of you know value add potential down the track where they can either subdivide and you know build one and sell one or or whatever it may be. There's there's lots of scenarios out there. I guess if you are if you're putting yourself in the same category as uh, the people wanting to live close to, every, you know, to the major cities and, you know, you, you're looking at properties over a million dollars and you're getting overwhelmed that, no, there's no way I can afford that or I don't have the deposit for that or, or whatever it is. I would suggest, look, there's there's different strategies and different ways to get into the market. So as we mentioned, if you can't afford to buy that million dollar home in the area you want to live in, well, why don't you put that money towards an investment property and get yourself in the market, build yeah. some equity, get yourself as, you know, become a property owner. And then in a couple of years down the track, you can, you know, you've, you've got more, more uh, I guess, options because you can draw on some of that equity, you can sell it for a profit and you have a bigger deposit to work with. Um, markets change, obviously they go through cycles. So right now we're going through a winter cycle where, you know, interest rates are high. There's obviously fear in the market, um, you know, but again, that, that presents opportunities because people like us will look at it and going, okay, people are now starting to get scared. Um, they're prepared to maybe take a discount on the property and, and, and mind you paying 6% interest on a property that you pick up for 50 grand less than the listing price yeah. is better than paying 2% interest on a property that you're paying a hundred grand more over above the, the, yeah. the listing price. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so it's how you, how you, how you think about it now, because we've got a rental shortage as well, it means the yields are still, you know, respectable. They're still good enough yields that you are going to get, you know, five, five fifty a week for a, for a $500,000 property, which yeah. is going to be enough to make it neutrally geared. All right. Maybe it might not be positive cash flow where you can live off that income, but at least it can maintain its commitments. So my my biggest advice is don't buy into the negative narrative because mm. it's there for a reason. It's there just to create doom and gloom. It's there to obviously serve a higher purpose for you know for the powers that be. Yeah. Um, if you buy into it, unfortunately, you're just going to be like the the herd. Um, yeah. But you break out of that and you again commit to a goal. Look at what you can do and stick to that then mm. there's always going to be opportunities and and the cycles and the seasons always change because it's never going to be winter forever you know sooner yeah. or later we're going to go into spring again so i would i would be getting excited in fact if i was um you know if i was someone who had the ability to to look at a property because yeah there's more opportunities yeah well i heard i was talking to uh, one of my friends slash mentors the other day he's a big property developer based in brisbane and we we're having a chat about the immigration like into this country you know what happened over covid where we're at now yeah. so to, to paint a picture right there was before covid 
on average, there was around sort of 250, 300,000 people a year coming to Australia, okay, like to live here. So yeah. obviously those people need homes, right? We need to build, we need infrastructure, we need homes. There's a demand component to that and a supplier has to meet that demand. So obviously Absolutely. COVID killed that and we went backwards in a sense. It was only the last 12 months, I think we're around 25,000 that have come mm-hmm. to Australia. But again, a way, yep. a way off where we were pre-COVID. So mm. I think what we're going to see, and I'm not a financial advisor, so this is not financial advice, but I think what we're going to see is once that sort of gets up and running again and things resume yep. to some sort of normality as we had before COVID, we're going to see an increase in demand anyway, okay? And, and with that comes an increase in supply. So obviously I, I believe there's going to be opportunity as well but what I wanted you to talk about as well, mate, was the difference in borrowing capacity if you actually have an investment property or you actually buy an investment as opposed to your owner occupied and why sometimes you can actually borrow more when it's an investment property. Because I know yeah, that you've absolutely. been down this road many times, man. Oh, all the time. And this is something that we rec- we, we are advising clients on when we start struggling with buying homes because they want to live in it. Yeah. Um, the first thing we always advise is, can we turn this into an investment property and yeah. start getting some rent coming in? Because the minute I can get a rent appraisal and give it to the bank and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm expecting 500 bucks a week in rent on this property, you know, 25 grand a year, the bank's automatically going to go, okay, well, we're going to expect 20,000 of that or 80% of that income to be net to income after your, you know, costs yeah. and management fees and all that sort of stuff. So we can take that into consideration. And because they've taken in that extra, you know, 80% of the rent that's that's coming yeah. in, it means you can borrow more, right? Yeah. So um, one of the easiest ways to be able to borrow more money is get a rent appraisal with your property purchase and, and put it put it as, a, as an yeah. investment. Now, yes, you are going to pay a little bit higher, maybe interest rates, or you might need to put in a little bit bigger deposit or whatever. But if it means you can service for the money and, and, and get the money, um, then absolutely it's worthwhile. Yeah. It's interesting. So what that means, guys, is if you're making a thousand bucks combined, let's say a couple and you look at buying a property and it's going to give you $500 a week rent, right? The bank will factor in 80% of that 500 to go on top of your income. That's $400 a week effectively that gets put on your income. So you've gone from $1,000 a week in in what you earn to $1,400 a week in the bank size. So obviously that's why they're going to allow you to borrow where you might not be able to borrow the money. You've got the money now to buy this property that you didn't have before. So yeah. Yep. And all that needs is just a rent appraisal. So anyone who's watching this, I'm happy to give out free rent appraisals to, to anyone that wants it really because it helps with, with increasing servicing. Yeah. Yeah, I love talking mm. about this, man. Uh, property itself, like how does it actually change your life? Think about that. Like from where oh. you're like, in hospitality, now you're in property. How different is your life now? Dude, it's it's um look to be honest, I can't I can't put into words how it has changed my life. All I can say is that I thank God every day that I have bought properties early on pre-COVID as well, because throughout COVID, one thing that has become very, very clear and evident is that you can't rely on one source of income, right? You know, if if that income gets jeopardized, whether it's your business or your work or your job or whatever it is, then that's it. Whereas if you've got investments, you're always making passive income. Right. And I know the, the word passive income has, you know, different different connotations to it. But where I, I've made more money in my properties than I have in my businesses and in my work 
um, in the last few years. And mm. that's a big claim. Like, you know, we're, we're, like we turn over pretty good numbers, but we've made more money in property than we have in anything else. So to be able to wake up and, and you know, look at your statements and, or, you know, sitting down with your financial planner or accountant and going, okay, my properties have made some really good growth in the last year. You know, each property on average is probably made, you know, 150 to 200K per yeah. year um, during during the boom phase. So you multiply that by the number of properties that you have and, you know, you, you look at it and go, okay, well, I actually wasted time working <laughs> almost. So there, there's there's that side of it. Um, secondly, property is the only real asset in, in my point of view, you know, like businesses can go from having a high valuation to zero like that, you know, with a, with a pandemic or something can happen or industries can change. Certain industries can get taken over by technology now with AI and all the, everything that's going on. There's a lot at risk if you're, if a big portion of your wealth is parked in, you know, non-tangible assets or yeah. just in business. And I'm not saying don't invest in, in those because, you know, absolutely you should. You should be diversified. But for me, just looking firsthand as a logical person, as a son of a migrant family who, you know, who can who only believed what they could see, um, property has been a life changer and a game changer. And it's just given me more conviction over the last few years to go back to my clients and my friends and my family and everyone you go just buy as many properties as you can, especially now because as inflation keeps going, the value of the dollar is decreasing, which means the, the value of assets like property are going to increase. So wherever you can buy property, you know, and, you know, just buy property and wait and, and hang on to it and just forget about it. Play the long game, you know. Yes, there are strategies where you can make money in the short term, but still play the long game because by being able to set and forget means that you're, I don't like to say guarantee, but you're you're ensuring that you're going to yeah. be in a better position down the track than where you are now. Well, there's no guarantees, all right? So regardless, no. you could do nothing, and lose mm. like and you know inflation is the big one like i think they're predicting that peak inflation is going to hit around that seven and a half percent uh and that's meant to happen next month okay so mm. i think it's much higher than that to be honest yeah, numbers, I think yeah. way past that so you know let's say it's at 10 percent, right that's like saying guys if you had a if you had a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in a bank just sitting there 12 months ago that same hundred grand is worth ninety thousand dollars today in regards to yep. in regards to purchasing power. So correct. By doing nothing, you're going backwards. I was talking to my parents the other day, their soup has gone backwards big time. Um, same with my in-laws, and they're coming to retirement age now. So even by doing nothing, it, it's still a risk. Now I've decided to in a way sort of bet on myself and that I want to set myself up so that I don't have to rely on the government. I don't have to rely on superannuation or anything like that. So I want to be able to rely on tangible assets producing income every week. So you call it passive income. I think that's that's a term that gets thrown around a bit. I still think there's there's definitely work required to, mm. to build passive Absolutely. income and ongoing. residual income. You know, like it's, not, yeah. it's not easy, but... right. You know, whether you bet on someone else or you bet on yourself on whether you do something or whether you do nothing, I still think there's an element of risk and um, there's going to be no guarantees anyway. Yeah. I think there's more risk in not investing than there is risk in yeah. investing sometimes. I, yeah. I'm biased when it comes to that. But yes, I, I think it's better to be proactive and try and win the game 
than try mm. and actually, you know, protect what whatever you've got, you know, and do nothing, you know. So yeah, but um, I wanted to ask you. Laws of nature, either growing or dying. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think key. so, man. That's right. So mm. I wanted to ask you: Is it possible for anyone, even on an average income, provided they actually methodically plan it out, to actually set up? you know, a series of properties and, and how many properties they might need to do this where if they're, say, in their 30s at the moment or early 40s mm-hmm. and they want to retire on these properties, is that still possible? Can they actually do that in your opinion? Absolutely, 100%. Um, look, like I mentioned before, there, there's obviously knowing what your end goal is and being able to reverse engineer that can give you, you know, like what, what steps you need to take to, to make that happen. Now, look, no doubt it used to be easier than what it is now. So I'll cross that bridge now. You know, it's uh, yes, it was easier back in the day, but now it's still possible because someone who is earning an average income can still get into the market, right? Yep. Now, depending on, on your strategy, if you're going to go for a positive cash flow strategy and you just want to accumulate more and more properties, um, that's probably going to be harder than what it used to be before because years ago, each property was assessed individually. So as long as that property can maintain its own commitments and service itself and everything like that, the bank was happy to give you the money. Whereas now the bank looks at all of your debts and they combine and they base all of your debts based against your income. So no doubt it's going to be a bit harder. However, there's strategies which will allow you to, to you know, take those little steps forward. So mm-hmm. you might be able to, you know, buy a property, improve its value, renovate it and flip it, or maybe buy a property, subdivide it, make a chunk of, you know, equity or chunk yeah. of profit, invest it. We haven't, it, even, you know? we haven't even got to that yet. That, that's another podcast again, probably. Ex- but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so to answer your question, yes, there are lots and lots of ways to do it. In fact, when I first started and, and some of the strategies I teach some students with um, with some of our courses is how to position yourself inside of deals where you don't have to put in any money. You don't have to uh, you know, take out any loans or have to service. You don't have to have a job almost, but be able to capitalize on, on that deal. So if you can position yourself in between a buyer and a seller, and you know, particularly whether it's through an option or taking a nomination or being able to you know control a property for a period and, and on sell it or whatever it may be, there's strategies out there which allow you to get into the market even from the outside in. So even even without you having to necessarily settle on the property and own the title um, to it, there's still ways to make money from property. At the very least, you can sell properties if you wanted to, you know, and just and build up your knowledge and your expert, you know, and your uh, and your expertise around the, the, the different types of opportunities and things like that. And then over time, you, you start being exposed to more opportunities. You might have off-market opportunities, opportunities where you can get in on a deal without having to put in any money. Um, so there's there's lots of ways. So 100%, I believe that it's possible for anyone. And I see this firsthand day in, day out with people that we we come across. You know what? We'll probably, if you're open to this, we'll do a podcast um just regarding a specific strategy next time like and then just like we'll yep. talk about how to actually get involved in that why that might benefit you depending on the sort of lifestyle you want but you know like i can't stress it enough it all depends on what you're going to value most in your life and how you want your life to look so that's that's the important part is understanding that first and then overcoming some of these beliefs you might have learned as a kid which i've had to do you know and we all had to do it at some we're point. All, yeah, we're all hmm. always that. That's that's a constant battle: is challenging what we think is true versus what's actually possible. And so that leads me to the last, the last point, the last question I want to throw at you, mate. So, property for me has been a way to actualize 
what I call my limitless lifestyle, you know, like yeah. having a life that I wouldn't otherwise have had I not invested mm-hmm. in property and being able to do this. So what does it mean for you to be limitless, Nadal? Yeah, I think I, would, I have a different take on what it means to be limitless. Um, for me, rather than it being about having the abundance and the things that we're going for, it's being free of the shackles that life puts on you along the way. And what I mean by that, the shackles in life are all the things that that hold you back. Now, whether it's debt, whether it is um, you know indulgences, uh, distractions, um, things that you know take you away from your true calling or your you know being true to yourself. Um, and if I was to sort of give you like personal examples, you know, for years I'd I'd grown up having this expectation on myself that I had to accumulate you know lots of money. I had to yeah. you know accumulate properties. I had to have the cars, the houses, the lifestyle and all of this. And that put shackles around me because the minute I took on more debt, I had to service that debt. So I was yeah. always on this hamster wheel running around trying to, trying to, um, you know, uh, service this, 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 uh, I guess, I don't know, this, this machine. Yeah. Whereas when I, I got to a point where, I realized I'm I'm spending money I didn't have. So I'm borrowing money, spending money yeah. I didn't have to buy things that I didn't need uh, to impress people that I didn't like. And it was just this vicious cycle that yeah. was going on in my life. The minute I became conscious of that and started making decisions to free myself of, of all those distractions and all the you know luxuries and all these things and, and not really... Uh, caring about the accumulation, but more so just going back to my true source and, you know, finding true joy and happiness and unconditional love in my children, in my family life, in my, in nature, um, have, being in harmony with myself, being in harmony with the people around me, being in harmony with the world. You know, that is when I started to break free from those shackles. And, yeah. and for me, that, that is what limitless means because when you can conquer yourself, you can conquer anything, you know. Yeah. And if I was to sort of boil it down to a to a piece of advice for someone who is starting out and who's sort of on their you know early part of their journey, I would say invest in yourself more than anything else because that's you're going to get the biggest return from the investment you make in yourself, you know. And yeah. we're we're fine to go and spend money on on courses and um, you know all these things because that knowledge will stay with you forever. And, you know, if you can get yourself to a point where, you know, you are, um, you're living life in, in line with your true self, mm. I think life kind of happens to you rather than you having to force it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I know it's probably going off a bit, you know, nah, off track a little bit, but. I got asked it the other it day. It all relates. I was, I was, someone interviewed me the other day and they said, What's, what does success mean to you? And like once upon a time, it was just oh, cash, give me the money, you know, like as much money. And yeah. so it's not about that. It's about control. And when I say control, control of my decisions, control of my time, as in how I want to actually allocate my time. Because I think too often we are all in a reactive state. We're just reacting all the time and we don't feel like we're in any control at all whatsoever. The other part is lifestyle. So actually putting some deliberate thought into how I want my life to look on the basis of what I value the most from most important to least important. So that's me, right? And that's going to be different for everyone, but you still have to put deliberate thought into that. 
and understand what that looks like for you. And then the third thing for me was purpose, like and having a sense of contribution, you know, and feeling like I'm actually doing something and feeling good about that because there's no point to me like having all this stuff or whatever or having the lifestyle if I feel like I'm not actually contributing to anyone else. I think as human beings, we're wired that way that we actually do want to, you know, contribute. We want to help others and feel part of something that's actually bigger than what we are. So Absolutely. Like how you summarized it, man. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. No, and look, I think that's that's a, a very um valuable bit of um like it's something that you need to pay attention to and and dedicate some time to look at what is it that brings you true happiness and true joy. And you know, I'm sure as a parent you can relate to this. Mm-hmm. Holding a newborn baby or holding a child or getting, you know, unconditional love from a child is worth more than any amount of money in the world, you know, because when we're gone we don't take anything with us. We, we, all the money that we create, all the properties that we buy, all the houses yeah. and cars and all that, nothing comes with us. It all stays behind. The only yeah, thing we leave true. is, you know, those memories and the love and the, and the legacy that we've had th- with, through our family and the people that we create. Yeah. And again, when I realized and, and learned that lesson, um, life changed. Like it was, did a complete 180 because then it's no longer about trying to attain more it's about being free of all the things that that hold you back or weigh you down in life and when you can live life from that space man magic happens there it is guys so guys how how do people hit you up man if they want to actually reach out to you if they want to just have a chat with you in regards to this situation what's the best way that they can actually do that Look, I'm I'm always uh, open and welcome to conversations, especially with like-minded people that you know come from your network. Yeah. So uh, I'm on all the socials, you know, the Facebook, cool. Insta, LinkedIn. Uh, we'll have all the links. Jump on the website. Notes, they'll yeah. all be there. So absolutely, cool. no worries. Well, thanks for jumping on, man. Uh, like I said, next time maybe we'll specifically talk about one or two different ways that people can yeah. sort of reverse engineer their life depending on their the outcome that they're after. So yeah absolutely look forward to it awesome no worries thanks again man thank you so much for listening guys if you got value from this please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well i wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential